Hello socios, this is producer Martin here and you're about to listen to a mini documentary myself and Neil made on one of the best football books of all time, The Miracle of Castel de Sangro by Joe McGuinness. This is the story behind the book and it is almost as remarkable as the book itself. The episode is from our Between the Lines podcast, which aims to tell the stories behind great sports writing. If you'd like to subscribe, then you'll also find a ton of episodes with writers like Mike Calvin, Johnny Northcroft, David Winner, Rory Smith and Graham Hunter. I've written about horse racing. I've written a book about Alaska. I spent a year in Italy with a minor league football team. Wrote a book about that. So uh, I write about whatever I get curious about. I don't really specialize in anything. I'm a storyteller. And wherever I see a good story that I'd like to tell, I try to learn enough about it so I'll be able to tell it. 20 years ago, an American writer and novelist called Joe McGuinness published one of the most celebrated football books of all time. The Miracle of Castel de Sangro is a captivating, idiosyncratic tale following the fortunes of a small hilltop team from the Abruzzo region of Italy. The book describes their travails as they attempt to survive in Serie B, the second tier of Italian club football for a season. Peppered with nerve-shedding drama, tragic deaths and corruption, it is little wonder that Joe McGuinness's book has seared itself so deeply into the consciousness of sportsbook lovers. And the story behind the book is almost as intriguing as the book itself. At the centre of it all is the enigmatic author Joe McGuinness. In 1968, McGuinness wrote a best-selling book called The Selling of the President about how the Republicans marketed Richard Nixon in the 1968 presidential campaign. The book was on the New York Times bestsellers list for 30 weeks and it made McGuinness famous. Fifteen years later, he wrote the true crime book Fatal Vision about the 1979 conviction of Jeffrey MacDonald for the murder of his wife and two children. It was a book which created huge controversy in the States and led to MacDonald suing McGuinness. It also spawned Janet Malcolm's book The Journalist and the Murderer, which chose the Fatal Vision saga to explore journalistic ethics. In 1999, journalist Michael Hahn was editor of the football magazine 442 when a sample chapter of The Miracle of Castel de Sangro came across his desk. But it was not the book, so much as the author's name, which caught his eye. I studied politics at university, um, and American politics was one of my specialisms. You know, I went off to work in Congress for six months while I was a, a student. And so I'd read The, the Selling of the President in 1968, and I thought, could this possibly be the same Joe McGuinness who wrote The Selling of the President? And I called up the publisher and asked. And they said, yes, that is indeed the same person. And I asked if I could uh, do an interview with him. Now, the main reason, to be honest, was because as a journalist and as a bit of an American politics nerd, I wanted to talk to the person who written The Selling of the President in 1968, uh, rather than out of any tremendous interest at that point in The Miracle of Castel de Sangro. Um, but they set it up, sent me a full copy of the book, and uh, it became apparent that Joe McGuinness had become absolutely obsessed by football. I mean, you know, to an extent that would be quite terrifying in a normal person, let alone in a, an American writer based in rural Massachusetts. So, how exactly did a famous American writer and novelist fall so hopelessly in love with the beautiful game? Sadly, McGuinness passed away in 2014 from prostate cancer. However, his passion for football lives on through his widow Nancy, who recalls the dawn of her late husband's obsession. 
At one point, Joe was watching the World Cup 1990. We happened to be in an Irish pub in New York because my brother was marrying a an Irish girl. And Joe paid no attention to us. He sat at the bar and watched Ireland lose, along with all the bartenders and other fans in the bar. So I knew that he had something going with, with soccer. I thought he was crazy at the time. Uh, however, we didn't. he didn't have any access to games, really. At that point in the early 90s, there was nothing on, on U.S. television. So it didn't really manifest again until the World Cup came to the U.S. in 1994. And at that point, Italy was really hot stuff, and especially Roberto Baggio. There, were, there was a lot of press about him, and we both became fascinated with the Italian team and Baggio in particular. going to two games. This is the first soccer games we'd ever been to in a little stadium outside Boston called Foxborough, where you're right smack up against the pitch and you can really see the players. And we saw Italy, Nigeria and Italy, Argentina. And we got to see Maradona, actually. We both got hooked, but especially Joe. He just loved it. It just it truly was the beautiful game for him. I don't really know how to account for his fanaticism, except that he is part of his personality. He's passionate enthusiast. Soccer just gave him pure pleasure. In 1995, McGuinness's growing obsession with football intersected with his reporting of one of the most notorious murder cases in US history. This is a special report from New England's New Center 5. Good evening, everyone. I'm Susan Warnick. There is another bizarre twist in the O.J. Simpson story tonight. Police believe that they have found Mr. Simpson. What you're looking at now is video provided to us this evening. The previous year, the American football legend and TV personality O.J. Simpson had been charged with the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend, Ron Goldman. The criminal trial of Simpson began in 1995 and became the most public and high-profile case in U.S. history. McGuinness had been commissioned to write a book on it, but he soon realised that it was not a project he wanted to be involved in. Joe signed a, a huge contract to write a book about his trial. The trial didn't begin until January of 95. He was granted one of the few seats for the whole trial by the judge, but the deal was he had to be there every single day. So he was in Los Angeles for 10 months at the, this ridiculous trial, hating every minute of it. And his only solace was soccer. There was a little more soccer on uh, cable in L.A., and he could also go to a few games. So he fed his he fed his obsession as much as he could. The trial was quite a circus, but he he had no doubt whatsoever that O.J. was guilty. I think he didn't see a good way to write about it that would speak to his his talents. And it just it was a disgusting spectacle in many ways. Oh, I think getting away from the whole culture was part of the, the appeal of going to Italy. And the other part was just immersing himself in something he, he absolutely loved instead of something that he had disdain for. So he comes home after the trial and is completely disgusted, cannot imagine how he's going to write a book. But he sits down and he tries and he tries and he tries. And meanwhile, of course, he's following soccer just to stay sane. He subscribed to this, this Italian fan magazine, mostly devoted to soccer, and it was called Guerra Sportivo. I, now, this would be at the end of the 94-95 season. He read about Castel de Sangro, this little... I think that the 
headline might have even been Miracle Team, something along those lines. It's just a little, little town of 5,000 people in, in the mountains of the Abruzzo that had won uh, promotion to Syria B. And he just became fascinated by this and saw it as a way to get out of this contract that he hated and, and do something that he felt he would love and just sort of escape from the miseries of being in the United States at that point. As a club, Castel de Sangro was formed in the aftermath of the Second World War. Drawing its players from the small 5,000 population of the town, they started their improbable climb through the pyramid system of Italian football. By the early to mid-90s, they had reached such dizzying heights as to find themselves in a playoff from promotion to Serie B. Their playoff final opponents would be Ascoli, a club with a city with 10 times the population of Castel de Sangro. With the entire town decamping to Foggia to cheer them on, the score was locked at 0-0 after 119 minutes. As penalty kicks loomed, the manager Osvaldo Giacconi made an unusual substitution. He withdrew their highly rated 24-year-old goalkeeper and replaced him with the 34-year-old reserve keeper Pietro Spinoza. As the shootout entered sudden death, this happened. Milan contro Spinoza. Spinoza deve compiere questo miracolo, tra virgolette, con l'aiuto di Dio. La parata! Il Castel di Sangro in Serie B! Il Castel di Sangro in Serie B! In Serie B! Il Castel di Sangro! That was the sound of the miracle of Castel di Sangro. Pietro Spinoza's diving save from an Ascoli player saw them promoted to Serie B for the first time in their history. As McGuinness writes, Tiny and obscure and isolated Castel de Sangro was going to Serie B. A miracle! Assolutamente! Castel de Sangro was going to Serie B with the following season it would compete across the length and breadth of Italy against the teams of such metropolises as Turin, Genoa, Padua, Palermo, Verona, Bari and Venice. It was beyond comprehension, beyond the wildest forays of the most fervid imagination. And the minute I read about it, in June of 1996 in Guerin Sportiva, an Italian soccer magazine to which I was subscribed, I knew I would have to go to Castel de Sangro to write about the miracle and about whatever might happen next. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. But how would McGinnis wriggle out from beneath a six-figure advance for a book on O.J. Simpson and instead dedicate a year of his life to one on a tiny Italian football club? With great difficulty. His agent said, well, if you're going to write a teenager's book, you're going to get a teenager's advance. His agent had to find him a deal with another publisher because the, the publisher had signed him for the O.J. deal, was not interested in in. Castel de Sangro. It was definitely a big decision. And just immersing yourself in a whole different culture, a whole different language. And Joe went there knowing really zero Italian. But he somehow managed to understand and make himself understood. And and it, it the language barrier, in a way, I think, worked in his favor because when somebody is learning another language, they, it sort of infantilizes them in the eyes of the people who can speak the language. Vocabulary is so limited, you can't express yourself. They think you don't get it. I think Joe could actually pick up a lot more about what was going on, what the team was saying, what the management was saying, than they knew that he could. And the thing about how remote Castel de Sangro was is that nobody spoke English, nobody. So he didn't have any choice. It was very, I think it was his most immersive experience yet as a reporter. I mean, he wasn't really a reporter anymore. He was, first of all, he did have this reputation. He was um, the uh, scrittore americano famoso. So that that gave him a little bit of a, an in. You know, he went to this restaurant owned by Marcella, and she loved him, and the players loved him. He ate with them every night. Uh he he really was made sort of an honorary member of the team. And in the writing, he actually becomes a character in the story. And so began McGuinness's immersion in the life of Castel de Sangro. While this may have represented an escape from writing about O.G. Simpson, it was no summer holiday. McGuinness threw himself headfirst into life in the small hilltop town, renting an apartment next door to the head coach of Castel de Sangro, Osvaldo Giacconi and whining and dining with the <coughs> colourful owner, Signor Ressa. Days were spent observing training or going to matches, and nights were spent getting to know the players at Marcella's, the local pizza parlour, all without a word of Italian. Part of the appeal of the book comes from how Joe McGuinness seeks to express himself, sometimes very candidly and forthrightly. And so objectivity goes out the window as McGuinness goes all in and becomes the club's most passionate supporter. He remonstrates with Giacconi over his player selections and repeatedly questions the motives of the club's upper management. This is from the start of chapter 12. At lunch the next day, I approached Giacconi directly. I wanted to tell him I thought a 5-3-2 formation would work well. Osvaldo, I said, we must speak right away. Right away, it's very, very important. Giacconi's reaction startled me. He tossed back his head, made a quick gargling sound, and then slammed an open palm on the table. He did not seem like a man about to sit calmly down and ask for my insights into the squad's problems. Rather, he seemed like somebody who had just remembered that he'd forgotten to turn off the gas burner on his stove. 
Part of the appeal of the book is the immediacy of the narrative. It is written in real time as McGuinness breathlessly relates their tumultuous attempts to survive in the heady environs of Serie B. Here's Nancy on the writing process. At the, that point, there was no internet, uh, at least not in Castel de Sangro. It was, it was very primitive in that sense, but he, um, he faxed me almost every night long handwritten pages. He didn't have a printer either, uh, and he used those as the basis for writing. Uh, I mean, fortunately, he, the structure of the book almost was, was right there. It was so easy to just structure it by each game of the season. Um, but he also, you know, he also wanted to make the game understandable to somebody who really didn't know about football without being boring to somebody who did. I, I think he handled that pretty well. The notes made all the difference. It was such a relief for him to, at the end of the day, to go back home and write in English after the exhaustion of trying to, to live in another language all day long. It's very tiring. One of the most poignant sections in the book is in chapter 23, when Joe finds out about the tragic death of two young players, Danilo Di Vincenzo and Pippo Biondi, who crashed their car on their return home from an away match. Uh, he called me up crying. He was, he was just so devastated by it. I mean, it affected the whole team. These are the the amazing things that happen when you are, and you, there's not much opportunity to do it anymore, but when you're on the scene and committed to being, to writing about something and it's still unfolding, you don't know how it's going to end and, and something that terrible happens along the way. Well, of course, and that's what happens when you immerse yourself. You, you get your heart broken. As if Castel de Sangro's tortuous attempts to avoid relegation did not provide enough drama, the book takes a much more sinister turn in Chapter 28 when the club's defender, Gigi Pretti, is arrested in connection with an international drug smuggling ring. McGuinness also relates how Gabriel Gravina, a relative of Signor Ressa and president of the club, receives an official warning later that day that he is also under criminal investigation. Gigi is subsequently released without charge and no charges are brought against Gravina. But McGuinness's relationship with the latter quickly cools. Later in the book, he explains why. In the weeks since Gigi's arrest, I'd speculated openly about the extent of Gravina's involvement in the entire drug smuggling operation. Following Gigi's sudden release, I'd even more insistently expressed the view that some form of irregularity, perhaps the payment of a bribe, was likely to be involved. I had logic on my side, I felt, but no hard facts to support it. As Nancy relates, publication of the book in Italy prompted a lawsuit from Gravina. Gravina became sort of the villain of the piece, actually sued Joe. The book was published in Italy by a little... It, at first, it was going to be published by a classy company, and then they got scared off by these threats of uh, legal action. So a little company called Chaos published it. And Gravina filed suit. Nothing ever happened with it, but it was ugly. There were all these demands that Joe had to come back and show up in court, and he was advised just not to do anything. And so there was a judgment against him for some preposterous amount of money, and no, no, but it was entirely unenforceable and no, nothing ever happened. But it was a bad feeling. The book careers towards the end with another miracle occurring, this time the club's dramatic victory over Pescara, ensuring their survival in Serie B for another season. It was over, writes McGuinness. The gates of Eden had opened and we had danced in. But there is one more twist in the tale. 
With one game left and Castel de Sangro already safe, McGuinness claims that an unnamed player advises him not to travel to the final away match of the season against Barry, who need to secure a positive result to ensure promotion to Serie A. When Joe starts to believe that the result against Barry has been pre-arranged, all hell breaks loose. My ragazzi! These players I'd come to care about as I cared about no other group of men in all of my life. In front of 60,000 people the next day, they were going to betray values far more important than my opinion of them. But I felt deeply and personally betrayed nonetheless. The game ends Barry 3, Castel de Sangro 1. Barry would be promoted to Serie A. And McGuinness? McGuinness would return to the States, broken hearted. 21 years later, in 2018, an Italian TV programme ran an interview with Luca Albieri, a Castel de Sangro player from 1997, who confirmed, along with another unnamed player, that the 3-1 defeat to Barry on June 15th, 1997, was indeed pre-arranged. That's the dark side um, of passionately loving a team. And, and then being sort of taken in and feeling that you are part of that team. Um, and then discovering that they've done, they betrayed you. It feels like a very personal betrayal to discover that the whole team was in on throwing the last game. That really, that drove Joe crazy. He, and I was afraid he was going to do something more extreme than he, he was confrontational with the management, but I, I didn't know what he was going to do. He, he took it personally. It was like a very, very personal betrayal. So I, I think maybe it was cathartic for him to write about it. I'm just sorry that he did not live to, to see himself vindicated in by this disclosure only a few months ago by two of the former team members that they had, in, in fact, thrown the game. I think he was rather naive. One of, the, one of his charms was that he never got cynical enough not to be heartbroken and disillusioned. Despite the sour note at the end of the book, the experience in the Italian mountains did nothing to dim McGuinness's passion for the beautiful game. The book's popularity continued to grow and he received feedback from appreciative readers. He got probably more fan mail for this book than for, you know, Fatal Vision or any of the really big books. Um, or maybe it's just that the fan mail meant, meant more to him and he would set up correspondences with people and it was the start of a friendship with a wonderful soccer commentator uh, who is English. His name is Ray Hudson. He came over to the United States, I think, back when he was playing for the um, North American Soccer League. But now he lives in Florida and he is so famous for his commentary. He's so over the top and he is passionate, too. Messi. Oh. Anyway, a couple of times he mentioned on air Joe's book. Joe was, was motivated to get in touch with him, and they became fast friends. In fact, Ray spoke at his memorial service. Um, also, it's, the book has been optioned by various people for movies, and it would make a great movie, or I think even better, a TV series. In fact, right now there's a, somebody who's very interested in, in pursuing that. 
the more soccer there was on TV, the more <laughs> obsessed he became. He became a, a passionate Barcelona fan. In fact, we have a dog named Barca. Uh, and also, he he got into English football in a big way and became a big Arsenal fan as well. In fact, the last night of his conscious life, he, he lived on for a while, but he wasn't conscious. He was watching a Champions League playoff game. Um, it was Arsenal versus Bayern Munich with his daughter. So <laughs> right up until the very end. And he was shouting. I could hear, I was upstairs. I could hear him shouting. It still made him happy. It still enriched his life. So more than two decades on, whatever happened to Castel de Sangro? The following season, after a fire sale of key players and the sacking of Giacone, they were relegated. They had a brief flourish in 1999 when they reached the Coppa Italia quarter-finals before losing to Inter Milan, but the good times were gone and in 2005 the club went bust. A Phoenix team now called ASD Castel de Sangro Calcio was formed and they now play in the lower levels of Italian football once more. As for former president of Castel de Sangro, Gabriel Gravina, well, in January 2018, he was elected president of the Italian Football Federation with 97.2% of the votes. This episode was a Backpage production written and produced by me, Martin Gregg, and edited by Neil White. Huge thanks to Joe's widow, Nancy Doherty, and Michael Han for their contributions. And thanks to Michael McGarry for the theme music. If you've got any feedback on the episode, you can reach us at Backpage Press on Twitter and Facebook, or drop us an email at backpage at backpagepress.co.uk. If you're new to Between the Lines, then please explore the archive. We've been doing this for over a year now, and have episodes with writers such as Michael Calvin, Jonathan Northcroft, Rory Smith, David Winner, Simon Cooper and many more. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.